Welcome to We Only Talk Hockey. I'm Mike. Shane is joining me as always. Uh, we have a lot to talk about this week, and there's we have a ton of playoff games that have just happened. We are recording this right after the Blues and Avalanche game, which is an exciting game. We're going to get into that in a second. But first, let's talk about the one series that hasn't started yet. The one series that we have hasn't hasn't begun it's the maple leafs versus canadians and the maple leafs are kind of the favorite they've been the favorite all season in the north and i guess i'm wondering like what your angle is on this because i think the first thing really is in terms of how like how are the maple leafs uh the maple leafs offense should should overwhelm the canadians defense or really the Canadian Stevens is good, but where do you see the Maple Leafs doing offensively in this series overall? So I, I agree. I don't remember. We didn't do predictions for them because of the way the schedule came out, but yeah. I, I personally believe the Maple Leafs are going to win this. Um, I could see it going for, but to me, that's not the most realistic option to me. I see it going five or six. Um the Canadians for the last while have struggled to find scoring, but we've also, we've also said that about the Islanders and I'll get to that in a second, but yeah. the Canadians defense is very good. And I don't necessarily think it's, I don't see much of a chance for the Canadians to win. Obviously upsets happen, but what I do think it'll do is I think it might wear on Toronto a little bit going into the next series. Um, so, I mean, it's interesting you mentioned the Penguins because I think there are two elements that help the Canadians. One of them is the goaltending where the Maple Leafs, do you really trust Jack Campbell in this series or in any series for that matter? And if you're the Canadians, just keep getting pucks towards the net. Do you think that can wear down on Jack Campbell and the Maple Leafs defense? So that's what I said. I think there will be opportunities to score, even though I believe they have some issues scoring. And like I said with the Islanders, the Islanders in that game when they scored, we'll talk about that in a minute. But like scoring comes from everywhere in the playoffs because the playoffs are unpredictable. And so, yes, we can make our best thoughts about how they have been, how they haven't been, you know, but I think it'll be because of their defense, which is not likely to change any drastic amount. I think they'll drag out the series a little bit. Um and given how tough it looks like this Edmonton uh, Oilers series might end up being, yeah, um, I think it'll be a benefit for whichever team wins that, that the, that the Leafs don't have a cakewalk per se. Yeah, I, I actually, so that's actually interesting. You mentioned the depth scoring. I think with the Leafs, what, what helps them this year is they brought in Joe Thornton, they brought in Jason Spezza, they brought in these players with the intention of making a playoff run. And something I've kind of been thinking about, just an overall cup thing, like keys to winning the cup. One of the, there are like a few important elements to a good cup team. One of them feels like veteran scoring presence. It's not necessarily players in their prime, which you also, I think you need, which the Maple Leafs have, where you have scores in, in their prime, but you need those experienced cup scorers who have the instincts of when to, when to crash the net, when to find an open space, especially in playoff hockey, when the windows close. And I think that kind of goes to their advantage in this series, particularly would you say 
Yeah, I don't disagree. I definitely think they have better depth. That was I wasn't trying to imply differently. I was just saying they'll find the Canadians will find way to get goals because I don't have the utmost confidence in the Leafs goaltending. Mm-hmm. So I do think they'll take a game here or there at home. Um, but I think it will be more about wearing them down a little bit. But ultimately, I think the Maple Leafs aren't going to have too much trouble with the Canadians. So I guess like usually I, I, I actually, I actually see, um, like, this is part of what I'm thinking about. I see the Canadians pulling the upset, but I guess I want to hear your prediction before you, I kind of want to wait. You think the Canadians are going to win the whole series? I, so here's, here's part of it. This is not, I'm not, not even going to, I'm not going to talk about how like one seeds generally don't do as well as people give them credit for where I think we're picking a lot of one seeds to advance. I don't, I mean, I think we both picked the Penguins. We both picked the, uh, uh, and I think we'll both pick, we didn't pick the Avalanche, but I think we would both assume the Avalanche would advance, I mean, before the series started. I, P1 seeds don't generally advance as much as people give them credit for. Well, I think there's, they there's usually get, they usually, three out of the four usually get past the first round. So if there's one that would, losing the first round it would be that's it's not that's not logical in terms of how to pick a team to pull the upset my big thing in the my two big things in the series are really the first one is Carey Price versus Jack Campbell which I think favors the Canadians we've seen Carey Price do it before Uh, he hasn't had a good year this year but I think in in the playoffs you really have to feel comfortable with that that's the first thing and then my second thing is is can is can you stars can stars be eliminated can the canadians eliminate the stars of the maple leafs particularly that top line which i think with jeff petrie joel edmondson and shea weber is really the intriguing piece for me in this series someone like a shea weber a later line defenseman if they can kind of and not slow the game down if they could just kind of get to austin matthews get into his head that's just, that's and also Mitch Marner who can make those plays. I think those two things. It's it's a it's it's unlikely, but I think if there's any one seed to get knocked off, it's Toronto, and I think the Canadians have the team to pull that upset. So, so I I do agree with you as we talked about before, even going into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I believe the Maple Leafs. I think Austin Matthews. First, let me say I think Marner goes as Matthew goes. Um, yeah. I, I personally, the entire top line really. Yeah. It's like, yeah. And so I think, I do think there are, there's the ability to get into Matthew's head. We've seen it in the series in the last several years in the series is against Boston. It, it, he seems to struggle. He seems to have his it, mental thing. I think it's particularly, this is why I think it's really going to come down to the Maple Leafs third line and their fourth line because the good defenses take away Austin Matthews. They, they really limit it the him and Marner's ability to make plays, getting into passing lanes, getting into, getting into, getting into, into Matthews, shooting lane. They really know how to take away. Matthews has gotten better since then, but, and that's really where I think the third line is going to have to win this series for them. I, and I don't, I don't know. Can John Tavares maybe on the second line uh, have a breakout? I uh, think I'm sorry. You can, if I cut you off there. No, it's but. fine. I, I do agree with you that if it's going to happen, 
it's probably going to be this series. See, that part, I think there's a chance. I do agree that I think there's a chance the Canadians pull the upset. I don't think they will, but they, I think there is a calculated chance, more so than your average whatever. Yeah. But if I were really to say which one seed could lose to a four seed, I would say Pittsburgh to the Islanders. But we can talk about that more in a bit. But yeah. I do I do think the Canadians have a chance here. Um, I just ultimately it's hard for me in this round to pick against them, to I pick mean, against I, I, the Leafs. Yeah, the Maple Leafs are a team that you don't necessarily – it's hard to know if they're coming out in the North, but I guess it's easier to say that they'll win this series. I, I mean, I really see, I think this is a series that's going to drag on and go to seven games. I don't think, I think a lot of people are kind of, is because the Canadians struggled and because they haven't looked the same since that first month of action. And because they, there's a lot of question marks on this roster. It's easy to discredit them and rightfully so. I think it's it's there's no doubt that the, the the inferior team there is there are they do match up though pretty well with I think the Maple Leafs and the particularly in net with Carey Price J, Jake Allen's probably going to be the backup but Carey Price we've seen it happen before yeah and th- and this year he has the defense to help him out so, so I do think I do think that they have the edge in net um but I think ultimately it's not going to be enough um because you can have a great goaltender and just not have the requisite pieces around it um but we'll yeah. see i do, i do agree with you i think it's six or seven games maybe five depending i want to see how this first game goes um but yeah so so you'll pick like Maple Leafs in seven or six games. Basically. Yeah, essentially. I mean, yeah. Oh, so, so I'll, I'm, so I'm going to, yeah, I'll pick Canadian. So it's going to be an exciting series to kind of look into. Uh, so I guess let's now kind of shift into some of the games that happened. Let's start with the game that just happened that we're like fresh in our memories uh, really quickly. And that's the avalanche versus the blues. The blues kind of gave the avalanche a scare late. It was three, nothing. Then it was three, two, then it was four, two, then it was four, three. And then the Avalanche scored an empty net. My Twice. overall, my overall impression is with this series is that the Avalanche and really just the entire Cup run, because if we're going to make predictions, is the Avalanche are their own worst enemy. They can only lose if they play down to their opponent or players get injured if if they miss a key piece in their lineup. And I think the, re- the regular season kind of proved that when like McKinnon was uh, was hurt, I think a few games, Campbell Carr was out for a few games, they struggled. But if they're healthy and they have the pieces and they don't play down to the points, they're their worst enemy. I don't know if you'd, you probably tell me if you agree or not, but I don't know what, what extra impressions there are from the first two games that we've seen that so, stand out. I don't necessarily disagree. Um. My thing is, I think the Blues have the potential to be better than that what they are. Um, and we've, you and we've I, talked enough let, about the Blues. Yeah, that note. N- no, but like I, I, I think I think the end of this game showed that they yeah. have the ability to go tit for tat with Colorado if things go on like late in that game it was the, it was it was lower line players it was players who haven't shown out as much and so um 
I think it's going to drag out. I do think Colorado is, I do believe I agree with you. It's Colorado series to lose. I think out of their division, the only team that I would say it's not Colorado series to lose is Vegas because I personally believe Vegas is a better team than Colorado. Um, the biggest deciding factor there being goaltending, but well, I mean, I will get to, I guess we'll get, yeah. I guess we'll go into Vegas next, but I guess like the question really is, is that, yeah, we talked enough about the blues, like basically depending on which week we dive into the blues is basically how consistent they are. And I think when this game, we kind of see the talent is there. There are enough pieces that you could have pulled an upset, but in those first two games we saw where it's like Colorado just at the end of the day, like especially when they get on the power play, which I think today really showed that they are just hard to stop, and they are they are the only team that can really beat them is themselves. And I don't know. I mean, you 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 think the Blues will probably steal a few games down I, the road? I, no, I believe they'll win one or two games at home in these next two games. I don't think they win after that. It, it so essentially what I'm saying is I think it could go to six, probably five. Um, unless the blues show us the best version of themselves and just last note on the blues and their inconsistencies. I believe that's a coaching thing. Um, I firmly believe the consistency of a team is a matter of its coach, because if they have that talent and sometimes they don't play to that, there's something in the room, in the locker room, something that's just not motivating. I hear that argument. My issue with the blues, and this is, is really not a coaching thing in terms of consistency, uh, which would actually be funny if they lost the first three games, won the next three games just be, to prove how streaky they really are and then lose game seven or something like that, is the, their roster is built where they have very good top lines and a very good top defensive pairing, and Jordan Bennington is their great goalie. Everything else back-end-wise, bottom six offense, back-end defense, in terms of like the back three defense. Cause really if you have Marco Scandella, Justin Volk, Tori Krug have all played really well this year, but then after that, it's a drop off. You, you see that when they ha- in a regular season, when they have to turn to those backups to rely on those backups in those games, they've kind of lose those games in terms of streakiness as well, is that you can't rely on your top line. You can't rely on Tori Krug who had a great game in this, in this most recent game. You just can't rely on Tory Krug to win you seven games or really win you four of seven or have a cup run, which is what they're hoping to do. And that's really, I think, where the issue is. I think I think this is more, I mean, as much as it could be a coaching issue, I think it's more of an executive issue. They really need to bring in talent to help the depth. They need to really help yeah, that. I don't disagree. Everyone can use depth. Every single yeah. team can add depth. There's never too much depth. But because you see sometimes they do work well and they don't, even if their peak isn't, could be improved, I think to level off those peaks and valleys in their play, I believe is a coaching thing. But that's just a philosophy. The way I see the game of hockey is inconsistency issues usually in a team rather than a player usually rely on the coach. But I ultimately think the Avs will win. I don't think yeah. the Blues are going to win. Um, I kind of agree. I, I I think the Avs. I'm looking more like the Avs could potentially sweep the series. They might lose one game, but like, uh, I mean, the Blues can take two games, but 
it really starts with game three. They have to kind of win game three, which will be Friday night. Uh, they it's it's really just like I look at the avalanche and I'm like, I don't want to pick a president's winner. I don't want to pick a president's winner. And I mean, we haven't really made our cup predictions, but there it, it you just feel like the only way they could lose is some is if they get if they beat themselves. I guess the other team that can really beat them is Vegas, which I guess will is a good way to shift into it because they're they have a tough series right now. Vegas so, has before and, we specifically get into the series, I I you're a lot higher on the abs than I am overall. Okay. Um I do not believe that's the case. I think in this series, that's the case. I think if they played Vegas or the wild, either team could outplay them and not it be a fault of their own. Um, You're saying the talent gap between the blues and the avalanche, I guess, is just showing, is showing disguising how the avalanche, how good the avalanche or how bad the avalanche really are because the blues are a team that you can kind of look if, if Vegas played the blues, I guess you, we'd agree upon is if they I would the blues, I would think they'd sweep the blues and it would also they would look and they'd look better, better and yeah. they would look better doing it I I um, hear that I I mean I I think and I think the wild would beat the blues in well the wild have had a weird thing with the blues this year but yeah theoretically I would think the wild would beat them in five or six I don't think the gap between the avalanche and the wild is nearly as big as you think it is. I think either team could outplay them. I think it's much more like likely Vegas would outplay them, but I don't see them as high. Like if I were to pick top five, what I think would win the cup, I'd put them at five or six. You know, I don't see That's them really nearly. Interesting. I don't. I quickly. I'd put the Canes one. Uh, personally, I believe the Canes are going to win win the cup. Canes okay. one. Um, Vegas two, and honestly, given the first two games, Lightning three or four. So, yeah, I mean, like, so the av- you uh, you're really like, I guess you're lower, much lower on the on the Avalanche uh, than I think. Yeah, than I, think I, I think overall, I'm lower on the Avalanche than you, and honestly, a bunch of people. Um, to me, it's more of a prove it, it yeah, kind of, of thing. I think the Avalanche were the number one team picked in the uh, a lot of people's brackets on the uh, NHL bracket website, whatever the uh, the people filled out. So I mean, I guess I, I mean it's really interesting because like it is a team. Yeah, you haven't really proven it to you, but like when you think about it, how many teams really have that post uh, previous reputation? I guess we'll dive into that uh, down the road. Maybe I mean it's hard to think about because there aren't really there's there hasn't there hasn't been a dynasty recently in the there, nhl there really aren't dynasties in the nhl and that's well, not I mean, what i used to be there were used, used to be to. the red used to be the red wings won like five cups in a uh, five cups in and that, the in canadians like whatever but i i don't mean it like that i mean this construction of team i i agree i think they're very good i think they have a top four or five chance of winning the whole thing i think they're really unlucky in the division they're in i think two out of the three teams in their division have a decent shot at beating them. So and I think, wouldn't you say then they get lucky that they play the blues because if they sweep the blues or win in five, which I think is reasonable to protect. I mean, the blues could give them trouble in the next few games, uh, but if they win four or five and the wild and the golden Knights have to go seven. Do you think that not doesn't help them in the next, in this, like 
in this region, you could say, of the West region? Personally, I don't. Um, often who- I would say yes, but um, honestly, I think they're the best when they're playing, if you understand what I mean. Um, I think those days off could be detrimental, but honestly, I don't think it will have a big sway either way. I think it'll have, if anything, a minuscule sway. And yeah. so I, I just think, I think where they could get lucky is if injuries occur in the Vegas, Minnesota series that I could see becoming a major factor. But if either team comes out relatively unscathed, I think it's a six, seven game series. Um, with Colorado. Okay, so oh, you're talking about with the uh, Wild or yes. Golden Knights? Yeah, yeah. So if either if either of the, whichever team comes out of that series, if they come out relatively unscathed, I think it's a six seven game series with Colorado. Okay, I mean, I think we'd have. To, I think I'd have to really wait because I think I I really one of the things that I really want to see is how these teams play each other. Not not. I mean, it's hard to really evaluate the, the Wild. And the Golden Knights, when they play each other, how they'll play against the Avalanche. But I think there is almost, you could say, there's almost you need to watch more and more and closely with these teams. And I think that we've watched a lot of hockey this year. But like playoff hockey, you see like you get to scrutinize a team, I guess, a little better because you get to see like you get to see how they match up against other playoff teams, particularly. So I think I think that like gives us a little more time I get to evaluate. So, so let's. I guess, Let's, yeah, let's get into the actual Golden Knights Wild series. Yeah. Um, I'll start by Which, saying I think it's gonna go seven. I mean, like, that's my impression. First impression. Um, maybe. Um I'm leaning more six games mm-hmm. just because of tonight uh yesterday's game. If you ask me just based on the first game, I would tell you seven. But what uh yesterday, what Tuesday night's game, game two, showed me is the wild are young and they have the ability to win this series, but their scoring is going to need to rise to a higher level to be flurry. Their scoring has been flat. It's been one goal in regulation, two total goals in two games. I, I think both offenses have really, I mean, they've really hit walls in the sense that both teams defenses have been incredible, particularly Cam Talbot and Mark Andre Fleury have been in, phenomenal goaltenders in this series it's just a showcase of great goaltending but i think but, overall flurry beats out talbot yeah well i mean you'd have you'd you'd take flurry any day one of my subplot cup matchups that i wanted to potentially see would have been uh flurry versus the penguins and flurry beating the penguins that would have been like poetic justice in a way but enough yeah. dwelling enough dwelling on that <laughs> i think i think so in this series i think what's interesting is that the is that both teams hit a wall against two very good defenses, but particularly what's going to make the series interesting is how the wild, there are two things, wild defense, which has been better than people give it credit for how they can limit the golden Knights offensively. And the other part is speed kills in the sense of Kirill Kaprizov has struggled this, this in this, uh, in this series so far. So I, uh, I don't know if I'd call it struggling. I think it's too early to say struggling. I just do. Um, I mean, the whole offense has been. Yeah, it's really. Well, he's a rookie, he, and 
okay, he didn't have a goal in two games. Like expecting a goal in a two game thing is, I think that's putting a guy on pace for 40 odd. Even a a point or like getting pucks to the net. I think we could say is like not happening. I think it's really speaks to Vegas's defense, but I think what this series, the wild will, and as the series progresses, especially as the series goes home starting tomorrow night, I believe is that the, is that the wild have speed speed kills and speed matches up is going to, is always tough to defend no matter how good a defense you have. I think that could, they, it hasn't showed in the first few games, the first two games, but eventually it's going to start winning the wild a few games where they can get on, where they can get an open space and they can win on odd man rushes potentially to, to, to win a, to force Florida to make even more phenomenal saves so those are like really the two things that I see the wild will give the golden Knights trouble in the series. I don't know. So, and that's based on my impression so far. Yeah. So my thing is, I, I don't agree. I think they are getting pucks on that. Uh, last night it was 35 shots. Uh, they're getting more shots than go- Vegas is. Well, I know um, Talbot uh, saved 42 in game one. Uh, game one was, they both saved above 40, I believe, but I game if, i don't know if flurry flurry might have if he was like believe, 31 32 i think um, i don't i don't know I, I i can't look it up but i think it was it was a showcase of good goaltending that's for sure i mean flurry made some saves that looked like that looked him that looked like so near impossible the first the first game yes the first game he saved 29 out of 30 but in the second game they were getting shots and i and i don't think the shots are going to be the issue i think um i think First of all, sorry, let me, I did not see wild winning a single game in, in Vegas. I thought this would be a six, seven game series with the wild only winning at home. Then winning that first game surprised me. So I see, I can see them. I didn't think they had the grit necessarily to win on the road in Vegas in that crazy atmosphere especially their home road splits have been like through the yeah. roof like complete yeah. disparities yeah so that gives me tells me i believe it's gonna i think it could be a seven game series um or even a six game series i think the wild could then sweep the three games they have at home winning game six uh games uh three four and six mm-hmm. um so that's Which why which would win the series for them, which yeah. is why I think it's going to be a six game series and not seven. Cause mm-hmm. I think either the golden Knights win a game or two in, in um, Minnesota, Minnesota or it ends in six. I think it's ending in six, but I don't think it's ending in six because one team is much better. I just think because of the way things have shuffled out, it's going to end in six. Okay. So I, I could see, I see Vegas, the way Vegas played in game two convinc- can, is more convincing than I think the one game three. It's not like, it's not like, oh, like game three, something mystical, mystical about game three. I think overall, when I mentioned how the Wild had that young scoring crew and speed kills, I think the Wild's weakness, it's not a weakness that they have young scoring. I think the weakness that we mentioned with the Maple Leafs, they don't have a vet, they don't have that veteran scoring presence that I think many teams they have a uh, tad bit, but not really. And that was like my Matt Zuccarello. Of, yeah. But like who else do they really? And throughout the season, their depth has also struggled. So like this that's is going to come back to all bite. year. I think that's my been my thing all year. I think yeah. they're just a little inexperienced and don't quite have the pieces yet. 
And I, yeah, and I also don't think they're going to, this is a team in the wild that aren't going to like in the off season, like make any moves. They, they believe that this is the core that they want to build through with from within. This is going to be the young core that they build around. And, and maybe, yeah. And get a that's couple why they weren't, veteran pieces. I think. And that's also why they weren't like active in the deadline. I think it's very, so I think, I think that's going to hurt them in the sense that they're just going to struggle to find goals on the back and find depth goals. I think one of their goals in the, uh, so far has been from Matt Dumba from the, uh, as one of their defensemen to score. So like it's Dumba and Joel Erickson that can overtime. So, I mean, like you're, you're going to, it's, it's clear that Vegas's defense, which is great. One through six, like are three deep pairings, whatever, however you want to word it is just, it's just matching up well. And my overall impression is as much as I want to pick the wild is they could be a sleeper team. This could go seven games. I think, it's going to go seven in the sense that they're going to split the next two games and then the wild and then the golden Knights wins game five and seven. And I also, and one of the reasons I'm convinced that the the golden Knights are going to win the series is because their top line has been like a non-factor so far. And that it's just too talent. It's going to wake up. You're going so to start seeing this. That. This is also, I have a point I have about a, about a later series, but I agree with you. Mm-hmm. I, I I'm not, I agree. I don't see, I don't see Minnesota winning, but I see mm-hmm. them winning more now than I did before. Yeah. Um, I probably before had them around 25, 30% chance at winning this series. Now I would put it closer to a 40% chance. Um, they would, ha- I feel they would have to, cause I don't necessarily see them taking another game in Vegas. I would say they'd have to sweep the games at home. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I do. I, it is interesting because, like the Avalanche a few years ago when they upset the Flames, if you win those back-to-back home games and you enter this, enter the other team, you that road that go home back game to them like three to game. one. Yeah, yeah, if you go back to Vegas up three one, um, it could be that. worrisome. Yeah, it could be worrisome for for yeah. uh, Vegas, but I just think that home atmosphere in vegas even with the lack of fans and stuff that i think and they're a new team but i think over the next several years and even so now you're gonna see that home is probably going to become one of the worst places for opposing teams to play um i think they have one of the best home advantages in the league i mean yeah and i it's very interesting how like uh I mean, they have the goaltending to carry. And I think, and that's overall what I think is going to help win this series also. Like, as much as Cam Talbot has had a very good season, it's like Monarch Andre Fleury is like a, is a, in the postseason been like a world class, in the playoffs, yeah. been a world class goaltender. And, and he's had a very good year. It's not like the Carey Price where Carey Price can be really good in the playoffs, but he's had a bad year. Fleury has had an amazing year, a Vesna yeah. Trophy type year. And he's hot in the playoffs. He's great in the playoffs. I, I I don't really see Minnesota winning, but I think it's a very interesting series. I mean, yeah, I I, I couldn't agree. I, I kind of yeah, we both agree on that. I think on that series. Uh, so, so so I guess let's I guess let's shift. Should we shift to the East Coast? I guess now for uh, yeah. So so let's um, let's start off with the Penguins Islanders. The one four. Oh, okay. Um. Uh. So, it's too well. It's <laughs> well, that's all I gotta say. Uh. So, what's so what, his... what's the well then? I want yeah. I want to know what this well is. So 
we we had talked about it at length that the Islanders couldn't find scoring since Anders Lee was out. They were at the top of the division and then plummeted essentially since after yeah. they held on for a tiny bit and then plummeted after he left. And they got pieces at the deadline. Ironically, one of them being Kyle Palmieri. Yeah. So that's the thing. But he hadn't done anything since he got there. Yeah. And then game one comes around and Kyle Palmieri gets two goals and an, an assist, I think. Uh so he, you're saying since he uh since he joined the Islanders, I think he had two total goals. Yeah. And then in this past in the in game one, he scores twice. And so, and an assist, I think, in game one alone. Yeah. The third line, which is him, John Gabriel Pajot, and I believe Oliver Ostrom, but I can't be sure about that. It was really Pajot, Pajot and uh Kyle Palmieri are on that line, and they scored three of the team's four goals, including the game winner. So yeah. I mean it is interesting because, like, I want to I want to kind of hear like what your impression on this is, but like, I I have a few takeaways from this, but like, uh, your impression about this yeah. Kyle Palmieri waking up scoring, finding this scoring depth. So my thing is maybe it was a timing thing. I don't necessarily know. Maybe it was a, you know what? It's playoffs and just internally it kicked him into a higher gear, which happens for players. There are players that when they get to the playoffs, it's just different. But I don't really think that's what it is. Um, I think this is partially what I thought about this series in the Islanders. They match up well defensively against them, and, and that defense leads to offensive ability. But in the long run, I don't think it's a big deal. But it does point to what I said in one of the other series and kind of where that came from of the – we can see what teams are do scoring wise going into the playoffs, but scoring defense, you can measure going into the playoffs, but scoring, you never know how it's going to change in the playoffs. But ultimately I don't think it matters much. I don't think they win the series, but I think they make it a lot more interesting than I previously thought. So I think let's, let's focus first on the Islanders scoring in that first game, which I think is, there are a few takeaways for that I have from that, but um, there is a truth behind finding depth scoring because good defenses take away good offenses, which I think is just a universal truth, which I think we, which is uh, so, and also good goaltending takes away easy, easy goals that a lot of top scorers can kind of find. I think my, my first impression from the uh, Islanders winning game one, four, three was they found depth scoring. They found the scoring in the second and third line with Brock Nelson scoring the other goal. When you dive into the, into those goals, you see that three of them, I think three of the four, uh, what Brock Nelson's being one of them, but then uh, the, the over three of the four slip Tristan Jari whiffed on. It was a glove save. Was it shot at the glove side? He could have, and usually you'd glove that, and he just whiffed on all three, which you think is a mental error or a just the error, a goaltending error. It could be the Islanders had this intel where they're just going to attack the glove side. I I think the Penguins are going to adjust to that. I think the uh, I think Jari is going to adjust to that. Uh, in terms of like what my overall impression of the first two games is is that it's conflicting because I think the pace to play is going to win the game. If the the Penguins can establish the speed game, win on odd man rushes, they're going to win the series. At the same time, they won a gritty game in game two, and they lost lost a speed-based game in game one. So it is conflicting. Looking at 
this series, I think the Penguins still are the more talented roster. And I still think that they're, they're going to win the series, just scoring depth, scoring on the top line. And then the defensive depth, which has stepped up this year, is going to help them win. Jari is going to be a question mark, but I over. So, yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't think this changed anything ultimately. I think what it changed was made it a more entertaining series to watch. Yeah. I think I think what we saw is that the Islanders are going to match up very well with the Penguins and make it a tough series, I think. Yeah. My overall impression. Which is, that I think we talked about before they started, is I, I believed they it would be a bit of a tough series, but yeah. I don't, I think it might be a little more entertaining now if they can continue some of that scoring, you might have some more high scoring games when originally I thought it was going to be a lot of low scoring games that like one or two breakaways broke the ice for Pittsburgh would break the ice for Pittsburgh. Now I think it could be, you can have a mix of those games kind of. So, I mean, it is interesting because I, I think, I think the Islanders kind of that one game, it did feel a little bit like an outlier considering game two i think the, the overall question is going to be for the islanders is can they find really it's not scoring depth it's really now can the top line start scoring can matt barzell jordan eberly and they play leo Komarov in that line but they really shouldn't because of the drop off in talent compared to someone else who could potentially play on that line like anthony bovillier or, or uh josh bailey even josh bailey if you will who's had a bad season uh but is good in the playoffs uh my the, the other thing that I think the Islanders can do is continue to shoot at Jari, try to force Jari to make some saves, even if they're poor shots on net, just getting the shots on net to force Jari to make those saves. I, I still think it's going to be Penguins in six. Like they split the series, which I think the Islanders would take. But I think the Penguins ultimately, uh, they're going to win another, one of the games on the road. And they go bring this series back to Pittsburgh and then they win back to back games with the one, the game Pittsburgh in the game and in, and then the final game in, in New York. I, I mean, I just see a lot of, a lot of the speed is still there favors the Penguins. And I also think that Chris Letang score is going to get a goal is going to get working from the point. Uh, We saw when the Penguins were shooting from the point, they were able to, they were able to be effective. I I think that's overall gonna just gonna get to the Islanders. They're gonna and the Penguins are gonna win the series. I don't. I see Penguins in six still. I picked that at the beginning. What do you do? You did your impressions I, change from that, or are you kind of not like, ultimately? So I still think it's six games. I just think they'll be more entertaining games. Mm-hmm. It is my thing. Um, I still think Pittsburgh in six. Um, so. I guess the but if I would... had but first but if I had to pick it four as I mentioned before to upset a, to upset a one I would say the Islanders if I had to pick mm-hmm. a four to upset a one. Um, so I guess now let's dive into the one series, not one, not the one series. Let's dive into the first series that I think we disagreed before on on who was going to advance. I picked the Bruins. You picked the uh, Capitals. I think I picked the Bruins in seven. I think you picked Capitals in six. I believe. No, I, I think I also said seven. Maybe not. Okay, so I don't know. So I there's think a lot it's of going seven. There's uh, a lot of takeaways. I guess which one? I guess the first. My first takeaway is really just um, because it changed from game three, from games one and two to game games three or particularly game one is the open ice in the move, the puck movement in game one, particularly compared to the uh, lack of movement and gritty and chip, chip and chase sort of game that game three kind of showed. So I guess that's like, 
it's kind of interesting to see how the game how the game's going to evolve as the series progresses. I think it's going to shift to a more defensive game. Uh, that's like the first note that I have from from this from these games so far. I find I find it interesting how what the capital how the Capitals would ideally want to slow the game down a bit just because of how the Bruins match up with them. But it it is interesting to see how this series is going to develop with that with the way the games themselves have developed. I guess you could say. So my prediction has not changed. Um, mm-hmm. These games went about how I figured they would go. Um, except one major thing, which actually made me believe more so in the ultimate ability for the Caps to win this series is the lack of production in the top six. You're talking about um, for the Capitals. For the Capitals. That's not going to stay that way. They will get goals. You saw well, it tonight, Ovechkin. So you saw it tonight, Ovechkin broke the ice, but that's also been on the power play. The only two goals the top two lines have scored have been on the power play. The one assisted, uh, the two assisted, uh, except for one. I think Ovechkin in game one assisted a goal, but in game two, uh, there was an assist on the power play to Oshie. And in this game, he scored on the power play. I think five on five, they will get their goals. And I think that given how close it's been, even with just the depth scoring, um, I think there's one major change that's going to happen next game that I think will affect things. Um, I think Kuznetsov will be moved down to the second line. Yeah, I was thinking he's on the top line with Tom Wilson and Ovechkin. So it wasn't Tom Wilson. Um, It was Oshie tonight. And I just don't think that pairs well. Um, The pair well. And honestly, I don't get Peter Laviolette in this because it's been shown. Wilson scored in game one, right? I think. And he was on the top line. Yeah. But statistically, throughout Mm -hmm. the season, their best top line was Backstrom, Wilson, Ovechkin was their best top line yeah. statistically. Um, their best second line was was TGO's, when TGO Kuznetsov and when Verona was there. Mantha, I think more and more as we go along, that's that trade is showing to be a giant bust for them. Um, I mean, it would be it would be it would pay off if we saw Mantha starting. Not not it's it's hard to knock him on three games, but if you could see him scoring in these playoff games, then you could see the trade paying off. But right now, it has. It's not even that he scored four times in his first four games. One of them was an empty net goal. One of them was a tip in and whatever. But he hasn't done anything since. And one thing that became very evident in the last couple games and before that was he does not have speed. He just he doesn't have well he has some speed he has speed for a big guy but he doesn't have speed but he has zero finesse and with against a goalie like like Rask you need finesse and they he doesn't have finesse that was Verona's biggest things he had some of the best hands in the NHL yeah um I, I it is interesting you mentioned the top six of the Capitals because I know one of the things that I've seen is not just the top six of the Capitals but you've looked at the top line of the Bruins where aside from Brad Marchand, who's found the back of the net a few times in this series, David Posternock, who is their best scorer, has been blanked the entire series. Like, a non, almost a non not I wouldn't say a non-factor. Because See, I does, would very disagree. I don't think he's a non-factor at all. I think Marchand's no, saying, goals like, have come about because a lot of his presence Pasternak's on the ice scores, play. I, his presence in the ice leads to goals, but you would expect 
Pasternak to be a major factor in finding the back of the net, which he hasn't. And Bergeron also really hasn't been a scoring presence that you would think he he, he would he would provide in this series. I think ironically for for when you look at when you look at the Capitals, it's been Nick Dowd, uh, Connor. I mean, Con, I don't know if Connor Sheary scored. Garnet Hathaway. Yeah, you look at those like later lines that have found goals, and I and TJ Oshie found the overtime winner in Game One. And ironically, for Nick the Bruins, Dowd had the game winner in Game One. Oh, it did was it a tip in? It was a tip in. It was all oh, right. Dad. So so out of I, Nick I Dowd, to those Nick Nick Dowd has two goals. Garnet Hathaway has two goals. Ovechkin's got one goal. Oshie's got one goal. But I mean, yeah, it's also the irony is that similar with the with the Bruins where. Taylor Hall has been scoring so it's it's not really like so I think there's a I think there's a bit of a difference one thing I think I don't know why this tonight they play Daniel Carr instead of Daniel Sprong for the Capitals Um, I was thinking is Sprong not on the ice because he usually could could find can have a scoring press I was like and and he's got some speed and he's got whatever Um, and he's got some finesse that was weird to me I don't know what happened Mm -hmm. Not sure. Uh, Lars Eller is out. The question, I think a big question will be how long is Lars Eller out? But Michael Roffel playing center is really bad. You saw in that third period tonight. Actually, that's not true. It was in the first overtime period tonight. Sorry, mm-hmm. there were too many periods. The first overtime period tonight, you saw they had a chance to have a three-on-one and Roffel looked like a snail on the ice and got caught up in the one defender when he had two guys on his wings in alone um, on either side of him. And so I personally believe if Eller can't come back, you play your black ace and Connor McMichael, at least give him a shot in a game. Uh, he can't be much worse than Michael Roffel. Um, and he can get those dirty goals. But interesting because they did bring Raffle over. It's almost like it's it's interesting when you look at the Capitals the trade deadline. Now you're looking at it in the playoffs where it's like they brought in Raffle and they brought in Anthony Manta with the vision of them playing the playoffs, and they really haven't contributed to the extent like at all. Honestly, I didn't really understand the whole bringing in Raffle thing. Though apparently the only reason they did it was because he can also sort of kind of play center. Um, but we haven't haven't seen that working. Which I. Yeah. So, but I do think, I do think next game, at least at the very least, Backstrom will play that top line. I don't think, excuse me, I don't think Peter Laviolette can keep doing the same thing and expect a different outcome. That's a definition of insanity. I mean, Uh, yeah, it it is interesting because we did mention that one of the, one of the factors that could decide a series is Peter, Peter Laviolette <laughs> overthinking it. And I mean, my overall impression of the first few games, particularly because of how, who he started in the net, because I mean, he started Sam set up in this game is that he, he hasn't been overthinking it, but really when you think about the lines, it's like, there should be a common sense. Of, there should be a common strategy that with the lines to that would be effective. Yeah. Which and I think the best thing is to. Wilson opposite Ovechkin has always been great. Ever mm-hmm. since Wilson started playing there, even if you kept Kuznetsov there, which I disagree with wholeheartedly. And I think they do too, because there was a whole thing about they're getting rid of him after the year. And yet he's still playing him on the top line, which I don't understand. I think he's looking yeah. bad at previous production 2018 and before with Kuznetsov with Ovechkin, which hasn't been there since but with Wilson opposite Ovechkin, Ovechkin doesn't 
need to be the physical presence as much. He can be, and he still will be. But when it's Oshi or Shiri or whoever else has been put on that top line with him, he's needed to be that physical presence. And it stops him from getting what I personally think are actually some of his best goals, which people overlook are which the like the one tonight those in close he gets those rebounds he gets those close passes and he has very good ability at finding the net real like within five feet of of a goaltender like a center's almost like a center's presence it's interesting because in this one came on a power play this goal that he had yeah but he, he gets just... those kinds of goals and yeah. i think it's harder for him to do that when he's paired opposite like that's why you saw it able to happen on the power play but i think it's harder for him to on the second line power play where Wilson is on the power play. I think it's harder for him to do that when it's harder for him to do that when he has to also be the physical presence. Um, And then the other big thing is Carlson needs to shoot the puck um, in the middle of the ice. It'll open things up and he's only had, I think he had one shot tonight and total that makes four. He needs to shoot the puck a little more and open up that ice but it I is think- interesting you mentioned Carlson because I think overall the Bruins defense, the, the, the Capitals defense matching up with the Bruins offense has been a reoccurring problem, which I think we could, we, there's, I mean, there's a lot to talk about it, but like my overall impression is the Bruins, the Capitals defense is more of a bigger defense aside from like someone like Carlson who kind of shoots just kind of that scoring defenseman. I but- know. I think their defense has been playing outstanding uh, for the most part. Uh I think this leads into the next thing we were going to talk about. I think the biggest issue has been a lapse here or there. I think for the most part, they've been playing really well, but they get these little lapses. And I think the game winning goal tonight is a hundred percent defensive issue. Um, I know a lot of people were saying it was Samsonov's. Um, yes, he could have made a better play, but given where the players on the ice were throwing, dishing it out across the boards, could have also led to him not being able to get back around the net. I think if you watch the play, yeah, Schultz had five feet on the guy to the puck, and he pulled off. The puck was behind the net, and he was coming from the right side. I think he was maybe thinking that that then this is interesting because Samson of it's almost like the one mistake that you could maybe pin on him, even though it's not necessarily his his fault in the game. But you probably. Well, the impression was that that Samson was going to chip it off the boards to him, but then See, he all of a sudden didn't but have. By, didn't by the that. time, by the time when Schultz pulled off, it's really weird looking at this. He's going right yeah. for the puck. He's got the edge, and mm-hmm. um, I can't remember his name. Was coming on in the end. Well, Craig Smith scored the game. Craig Smith. Goal. Yeah. Craig Smith was trying to come in on the inside of him, but he still had the edge. And then suddenly he he pulled up and went right. But by the time he made that, first of all, he was going real slow. He wasn't skating hard to that. Could be yeah. because it was second overtime. But then I think that you start to see the exhaustion. And and I think a lot of people would say, like, oh, when you're exhausted, you make mental mistakes. It's really like when you're exhausted. Uh, Craig Smith, who I don't think had a lot of ice time before that, was able to outskate someone like Justin Schultz, who probably was on the ice yeah. for th- at that point 30 minutes of the game. Yeah, but I and, still think he pulled off. Yeah. And I get what you're saying. There are times where the defender will pull off and the goalie will chip it past the cutting in yeah. uh, player. But he was already headed back toward the goal. He was he had his back to you and he was turning around the goal. Um, I, I just thought that was a big mental error on Schultz's part. I don't think there was much else. I think where Samsonov went wrong was leaving the net in the first place. 
I think once he left the net, there was no real good option. And I think he made the best out of those options because there were still players coming down the blue line and they were Boston. The players who were crossing that blue line first were Boston aside from Schultz. So if he tried to chip it around the boards, it would have gone into the Bruins and they would have just shot it and he wouldn't have gotten around. His best choice was I've got a guy coming back. I'm going to, I'm going to get back to my net and whatever. And Schultz made the mental error there. I don't think he should have left, but ultimately I think he played phenomenally not skating for two weeks and being able to go through second double overtime, playing really well, also, really the, smart, not the giving Bruins up outshot, The Bruins outshot the Capitals and he was just making incredible, very good saves. Keeping the first overtime, 16 to th- 16 shots to three. I believe what the number was in the first overtime, 16 shots to three Boston. It, yeah. it, he played really well. And what he was doing really well, which was something Craig Anderson couldn't do was control rebounds. He was very, he was not giving us an opportunity. If the puck was in front of him. He wasn't waiting for a defender to get rid of it. He was, he not, it's mine. It. Yeah. It's mine. Yeah. It's over. It's mine. And then, yeah, it isn't. And like, I honestly think, yeah, it's almost like that one mistake. If you would call it his was that last goal. And, and I think the capitals at that moment were building momentum in that second OT yeah. The thing that's really bad is the two bars in the third period. Um, Wilson had one and Backstrom had one where they beat Rask. They undoubtedly beat Rask, and they hit and the, they were hit the and they were and they were an inch too high. Um, yeah. That's that's just hockey. It I happens. Mean, but on that's on, on Samson up for a second though. I wanted to ask you: Is you think he's the goalie for the next for the rest of the series? I think hundred percent. Yeah. Um, All right. So I, I think he was, I think if he wasn't on the protocol list, he should have been the goalie from game one. Yeah. I think they don't lose game. I think there's almost no way they lose game two. If Sam Snov was in net because two out of those three goals came from the inability to protect rebounds with Craig Anderson in game two. Um, uh, one of them, I think was a weird penalty. We're going to get into penalties overall in a minute, but yeah, no, going forward, I think it's Samsonov. And based on what I said, those two clinkers off the bar from Wilson and and Backstrom, and you had a couple other really good chances that just they weren't going that top line's way, those top two lines way, those top six forwards way. And you will see some of those convert. And that is ultimately why I think this these games will stay close, but I think you'll see. And so you mentioned the top line of Boston also not being as much of a factor, but I think where the difference is they are a factor. They're just not the ones getting the points. While I think the other way it's, they're not as much of a factor because things just have been bouncing wrong. And I think they'll start to get some of those bounces. I think it reminds me a little bit of the Pittsburgh. uh, Yeah. The Pittsburgh series back in 18. Um, how those or first couple games, Capitals, yeah, Capitals, Penguins okay. back in 18. It reminds me a little bit where those first couple games, the top lines were really not getting their, not making points, not contributing as much. And then when they started to, you saw it start to flip. And these games have been real damn close. Um, that second one, that overtime. And they've was all, all really gone fast. into overtime. So like, yeah. they ha- I mean, it's it's almost a question of whether these overtimes have been like just too much at this point, but like, it's going to, it's, I think, I mean, these teams have been playing more hockey. They have been getting more tired. Uh, I mean, yeah, they're, they're, I, I see the 
ultimately the Bruins in, I mean, that's my thing. My, I, my take is Bruins in seven. They, they, t- they, they've stolen a game on the road already. And then See, they, I think the Capitals steal this game, this coming game, game. four. Game yeah, four. I, I would think so too. But then if um the Capitals really, I mean, the Bruins really in the next three games need to win one. And then game seven is up in the air. I, I don't, I mean, I am not, not just on that, but like, I see the way the Bruins have matched up and I see the way they've been playing overall. And it's going to be, I mean, unless the Capitals make those adjustments to find top line scoring, I still think it's going to be a harder, a harder uh, series for the Capitals to kind of pull off and win in the end. So I guess like really one last point on the series is let's talk a little bit about refing because I have an yeah. overall impression about refing in the entire Stanley Cup playoffs based on like the games I've been watching. But I kind of want to hear y- your take on the refing. Just I mean, you have one just on this series alone. So I have very specifically on this series is. So you can look at the power play numbers and they're pretty even yeah. right now. And I, even though some of those were double penalties, which is weird when you count them and double minors you're saying double not double minors uh four on four penalties i don't know what the technical term is each team got a penalty two apiece some of these two apiece penalties um that's first off my big issue they're calling these two apiece penalties when they're not they're not two apiece uh the biggest example was the marshand well i think overall the refing on marshand has been atrocious um, they called him tonight, but in general, it's been bad. He got called in game two, sort of, kind of. Um, he, after a play, there was some scrambling, scrumming. You know, it happens, but nothing had been called is the important part of this. No penalty had been called until Mantha was being moved away and Marchand was being held at the board by a ref. And Marchand, well, first... Uh, Manta, as he was coming behind the goal, Marshan hit him in the face with the goal stick, with with his stick. Mm-hmm. Nothing was called there. Then, as Manta's moving away, and the ref is, you know, moving with him as they do the linesman, whatever. Marshan takes his stick, wraps it around the ref, and hits Manta in the face with the blade, very clearly, intentionally. And the ref, who was next to them, throws up the hand and gives them both a minor. But the right. crazy thing was they gave Marchand a minor for slashing and Mantha a minor for high sticking. Mantha's stick never left the ice. It never raised. There was nothing I there. This, this, the past game was kind of that like clarification on that where it's like Brad Marchand always has that one thing that he does in the playoffs where it's like incredibly annoying and you have to catch it. And I think the refs, in the upcoming games are going to be much tougher on Marshan so because they of did. That. They got him for doing it this game. He literally yeah. did the exact same thing. But um, so that was one thing. Another thing was they gave an embellishment penalty to uh, Wilson, which I have said time and time again, I think is the stupidest penalty in all of sports, unless you were to add it to soccer um, because he was, he was interfered with clear as day. Yeah. And he was falling to the ice. You're going really fast trying to make a breakout and you're falling to the ice. If you're, especially from behind, a lot of times your torso comes up, which means your hands come up as well. Um, But that wasn't even a thing. And then as he was falling to the ice, uh, I don't remember who it was. Stick came right up 
groin shot, like lever groin shot. And as you're falling backwards, mind you, like, like knees bent in because that's which, which game was this again? I'm sorry. This was game two. This happened in game two. His knees essentially were taken out from under him. So he, you know, as you're skating and your knees bend. And so your torso goes back. Oftentimes your hands are going to lift up mid that he got hit in the nuts by the dude's stick. And they called him in belt on embellishment because his hands were in the air, um, which I think was kind of, mm, I don't know. It was, it was kind of sketch, but I do think this game tonight's game was called Mm -hmm. overall more evenly. I don't want to say fairly because they're obviously letting certain things go and not well, overall. Was, I think this game was in terms of even. numbers. You're going to say it's evenly. It, we would say it's evenly. I have. So my overall, I'm, I'm watching this game more intensely, particularly focusing on calls. My overall problem is the inconsistency in refing where not just in this game, but the entire series or not just in this series, but the entire playoffs is where you'll look at some of these games where they'll call like three penalties in the span of five minutes and then suddenly go 20 minutes without calling anything. And I think we kind of saw that in overtime. I think they kind of were turning. They didn't call anything. Yeah. They called nothing, which I understand in hockey. You generally call less. You see a lot. Also in playoff hockey, that's what I mean. Play go on. But if you're going to do that, you have to be almost consistent where in the sense, if you were to call a penalty, you call it, but then you have to kind of let the play game play out through with the continued roughness. Yeah. My overall problem is the you need more consistency in your calls, which we not only see disparity in five minutes or ten minutes, we see a disparity in the course of a game, which has so, been happening yeah. in the entire NHL. So to add to that a little bit, I don't know this because mm-hmm. I don't know how to check this, who the refs were for each of these games. Um I don't know if they change refs each game or it's a set of, especially with COVID, a well, set of refs have this I think series. Particularly, this is what's confusing is I think particularly the refs in the East have been refs in the East the entire season. So I think it, there is this, there should be that preconceived knowledge of like, oh, this player does this. You should maybe yeah. like keep an eye out on him. But, so, sorry, I wanted to add one thing. Um, I agree with you, the inconsistency. Like one of the biggest penalties you see called less often in the playoffs in hockey year to year to year is slashing and tripping. Well, or, I mean, more of also cross-checking. Like you you could see a lot of missed yeah, calls. Yeah, but, that's, not, but that's, all like, that's just an always hockey thing. They don't yeah. call cross-checks and then unless they're egregious. Um because then you'd be calling every single play. Um, So, but I I think that's one thing that's inconsistent. You'll see sometimes them making that's this year that I've seen a little inconsistent. You'll see them make a call on a trip or or a slash that was barely a slash and then miss a slash. So there should be like a threshold. Okay. Normally we would call this a slash, but we're not going to, this is your threshold. And they don't, that's where it is. I think they don't have that threshold that normally you see in the playoffs of, okay, you crossed this line. Um, and I think it was in game two, Washington Burns, they just started throwing penalties for nothing. Like nothing's going on and they're just chucking them out everywhere. 
Um, I mean, I don't know if that was this game particularly. I remember no, 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 the game two. I said specifically okay. game two. I think honestly, out of the three games, this th- game three was the yeah. best ref game. I actually think what about that is that a lot of times players will get the the refs will call something more based on the reaction and not the result of the penalty in the sense like when the the I guess a classic one is in the when the Sharks played the uh, Golden Knights in that game At seven like seven penalties and three well minutes. it was the five minute major because Joe Pavelski could not get up from from the uh, from the two players that hit him which I think. A lot of people said you should have given the double minor, but because of the react, the result, the reaction, which I mean, Joe Podolsky really got hurt on the play, so it's not really like he he overreacted. So in the, they called the five minute major in this in this past game, you saw where uh, Pasternak had that breakaway in overtime, and I don't even think they called. They might have called the penalty, but it might have just been a two minute penalty where he had the breakaway and. Uh, he did get he did get like slashed a little, but then after he went headfirst into the boards and fell down, couldn't get up. Where he got normally, up, he was he still played the shift. Well, he played, he, went, he played, but he couldn't get up after like they had to blow the whistle because of how he, he went headfirst into. See, the, here's my thing: I don't think they should have blown the whistle. I think he was. Oh, I hit the boards. I'm gonna sit here and get us a whistle. Well, uh, he got hit in the head. He 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 was like. That, no, that it was his get up from that. It, it was his torso. He went sat on the bench and cleaned his helmet and came out on his next regular shift. I mean, that's just hockey the, anyway. No, because yeah. usually a head thing, if it was actually a head thing, they'd get to the bench and they would have someone initially look at him and clear him or not. There was none of that. He just came and sat on the bench as if it was nothing. But regardless of that, um, and then this is they something didn't call though. They didn't call. I don't think they called anything on that. And they even... didn't, but I personally didn't see based on the way they'd been calling things that game. I don't think they should have. Uh, that was, it was first of all, no frame clearly shows uh, any, any penalty. There are inferred frames, which is a big thing. There are inferred frames, but also the ref was on the opposite side of them. But there is no angle that actually shows a clear penalty. His body was not twisted. It was not affected. So there was no hook. Because if you would have seen a hook doing that, he toe-picked after all contact off of, was off of him. His, he had a toe-pick. You know, The skate came up and the, the tip of the toe hit it and he tumbled. But regardless of that, even if they had called it, they didn't call any penalties in either of the overtime, which is fine. I'm okay with that. If you're saying essentially this is overtime, yeah, you know, unless it's something super egregious, go for it. I'm I'm okay with that because I also thought there were things other ways, but that's how they were calling the overtime. And I would be fine with that if that's how they called everything. I, I think also of all the games, particularly, I mean, I haven't really focused as much on penalties in other games, but in, in, uh, in the other series, the other games in the series as well, is that this game was more game three for the Bruins capitals is more consistent in their calls. I think that that's what I was saying. I think this was the best draft game out of all of them. But one thing I want to add, because I didn't add it before when I was talking about the embellishment Mm -hmm. thing is if refs aren't calling calls that should be called players are going to start to embellish a little. And that's the fact of the matter. Um, and that's why, unless it's the most egregious embellishment you've ever seen, like there are some where a player gets touched and he goes, Whoa, fly across, flies across the ice. Um, I don't think embellishment should be called. And then here's another thing. That's just an overall thing. I don't know the specifics of it, but challenging should not be penalized. 
it, I think it's a travesty to the game that challenging a penalty. The only real two things you can challenge are goaltender interference and offsides on a goal. Um, you can challenge offsides when there's a goal scored within that possession. Um, and you can challenge goaltender interference whenever you want. If you challenge for goaltender interference they, and you are and they rule you wrong, you get a two-minute delay of game penalty. And I think that is the biggest travesty to the game because essentially what it's saying is we don't care if we got it right. We don't want to take the time, so we're discouraging you from doing it. And I'll point out why this is also, a big thing. Reviews also shouldn't take as, as long as yeah. they do. That's a different conversation. So, though, I think. But, and I'll point out why this is such a big deal. End of game two. Mm-hmm. The goal by the goal by Hall should not have been a goal. It was one of the most clear. It was a ve- fairly clear goaltender interference that probably eighty-seven percent, ninety percent would have been called for Washington had they challenged. But it was the last three minutes of the game, and. At that point, it was just tied. So they didn't want to give Boston the opportunity to have a whatever. So they didn't challenge it. The only reason it you're wasn't talking, a hard You're talking about when they, they, in the last three minutes, were they like they weren't calling anything anyway? It's like that's what they were, they were no, doing. No, 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 no. In, in game two, game two, mm-hmm. the other night, when Hall, on Hall's third goal, not third goal, on the third goal, Boston had to tie mm-hmm. the game 3 3. Before they went into overtime, it was around three minutes and 30 seconds left in the game when it happened. There was a very clear uh, goaltender interference. The goalie was there. Uh, A guy came in and essentially shoved him back into the net that uh, split his legs open, which gave a wide open hole for Hall to put the puck, uh, which is what happened. The only reason they didn't challenge it because there was a slight chance maybe they would say he was pushed into him, even though there was no contact on him until after he had hit the goalie. But there's that small chance, and the game's tied then, 3-3. And I think they you felt... Challenge. See, you should be allowed to challenge that. but Without getting a penalty. Without getting a penalty. But because of the fear of the penalty, giving Boston a chance to win the game in regulation... And with the momentum three, they just scored. Yeah. You don't want to give them that two minute power play. And so it doesn't allow teams to make those calls. And I think that is a, I think that is a travesty to the game. Um, I, I, I think you, you don't want to get it right. Like you prefer not to have to get it right. So you discourage so severely not making those calls. Also, also like of all the things that they delay on, which I guess is like that. I mean, that's just like, they always like review call penalties. Like, how bad was this penalty? And it takes them a while. Like, they could they could take the extra time and not like you have, should have not you should not get a two minute penalty for it because yeah. I I think then the Capitals win that game. That call gets reversed. It takes any air out of the Boston sales with three minutes left, and that game goes Washington's way. It never goes to overtime. It never whatever. That was. That was a thing that to me, and I've noticed it before and I've commented before on it. I don't know if on here, but in general, that you you should not be penalized for that because they take time for every other thing. You you clean the ice, you commercial break, you whatever. So saying, oh, we take 30 seconds to look at a play to say if he's if that was goaltender interference or not on a goal 
yeah. If you want to say, because you can well, only so- challenge it on a goal. So I, I, I don't know. It's, it's very bad for hockey. I think to, to discourage that challenging, challenging for goaltender interference because they're yeah. scared. I, I think because they're like, like you want to get it right. You should want to get it right. So if it's a rule that you're allowed to challenge it, you should want to get it right and allow coaches to use that. Like if you want to say, make it something like, like, and I don't know, I think it might only be in the last several minutes of a game that this applies, which makes it even worse by the way. Um, but take away a timeout in the end of games. Timeouts matter. You, you know, in close games, timeouts matter. And Do unlike, it like the NFL. If they're wrong, unlike take other a timeout. Sport, unlike like the, unlike, unlike basketball timeouts, like actually, if you lose a timeout, it actually like, it affects how you chat, how you can coach a game, how you can manage a yeah, game. Especially at the end of games or end of period. You know what I mean? So if yeah. you want to do something, take giving a two minute minor for it is, is ridiculous. It's, it's ridiculous. It's only that like, I would say, it was something that has to be fixed, I guess. Uh, so, I mean, I guess we spent enough time on that. Let's try to, I guess, really quickly, uh, like, let's dive into the central. There's one, there's one, the Canes Predator series. There's not, like, much to really dwell on. Canes in four. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I I mean, like, is there any chance that the Predators come back? Not really. No. Like, they might if win they, a game at home. Yeah, they might pull a miracle and win a game at home, but it's not. Hey, Soros had a real good game till late today but ew, you're eventually you're gonna crack like you saw eventually they cracked and let up two goals later in the game it's also um, they cannot find they cannot keep they cannot find offense and when they do they just can't keep up with the hurricanes yeah it's it's so, it's it's really been it's really been like a testament in this series it's very similar when we talk about the avalanche lose series where it's like the hurricanes look s- vastly superior they're taking advantage of a team that's in a poor situation, but also I personally believe they just are vastly superior, but getting into the lightning preds, I would like to apologize to everybody. I I was horrendously wrong. I I mean, Uh, I wasn't, I've, I I mean, I'm sorry. You could, you could apologize. I mean, you could apologize. I'll I'll, I'll relish in this first. Yeah. I was wrong. Very wrong. Like not even a little wrong. I was very wrong. Yeah, uh, I didn't say it was a certainty, but I definitely thought there would be at least in game one something, some ounce, some minuscule like of, struggles of, of, of getting used to getting used to yeah. playing, especially with Stamkos also back watching the game. It seemed like they'd been playing together all season long. I think it's also the impression where it's like we forgot that Kucherov particularly with the style of play that he brings to the lightning. It's very easily. He was like, I might, I might've mentioned this where it's like, he can transfer very easily into. What yeah. The, uh, he's, he's, is. he's, he's very complimentary. And I agreed with you that last week, I just thought him game, wouldn't, I didn't necessarily games. think he would be the issue. I think the way you would have to change the rest of the lineup, adding him back in and Stamkos as well, I believe would have caused a little bit of discontinuity between the lines, at least in the first game. And and there was none of it. It, um, uh, I still think going, no, they're going back to Tampa now. Right. That was the thing. I think it was like, if we were expecting the Florida Panthers to win both games comfortably, or at least win both games with the idea that the lightning would struggle. 
on the road. And then uh, once Kucherov started clicking, then the game, the series would pick up. I, I think I actually would say I was wrong a bit because I didn't think the lightning would be this good, especially with their puck movement, which I think is their strength anyway, but there's always been their strength. But their their strength now with Kucherov in the lineup who can basically, who can vision, who can, break down a deep like it's it's incredible watching how he could break down a defense on the power play it's similar like where i get excited when the avalanche are on a power play with kale mccarr and nathan mckinnon like the the nathan mckinnon line and kale mccarr and devontae at the point similarly when the uh when the Lightning have a power play, Victor Hedman at the point and kucherov on the wing and just the whole just every part of that uh so I, it's just, it's impo- it's like incredible to watch. And I would like to revise, not revise, essentially say now, given facts of how the series have started, I think it's a, um, I do not see them blanking Florida. It could happen. I, I think Florida is just too good of a team not to win a game or two, but I had previously picked Florida to win the series, I think. I think either I, picked, I said I lightning and six, which I think now looks like a terrible prediction based on how well the lightning have played. See, so now I see, I think I had it a seven game series that I felt mm-hmm. could go either way, depending on those first two games, um, whether or not Florida won one or two of those first two games. So now I see it a six game series, five or six game series going to the lightning. I don't see them blanking them. I think Florida just is, has too much ability to get completely blanked, but I would like to say, I still think Carolina, because at this point, I think we both agree the next round is going to be Carolina lightning. Um, I don't think you have any argument there. Even if we argue how many games it'll take the lightning, we don't really argue on the outcome at this point. I kind of want to see, how both teams look in the next few games. I mean, I think if both teams are going to win the next few games, which I think they will and advance the lightning and the hurricanes, I think I want to see particularly what the lightning and the, and the hurricanes do and how they look for what they're going to, how they're going to play against each other. I don't see the lightning winning the next two. I see them at least dropping one. No, I think, I think they'll drop one, but in, in these next two games, if they're, it's clear that they're going to advance unless like they really just, they really, Unless the lightning dropped too, but I don't see yeah. that happening. Um, not at not at home. Uh, yeah. And I mean, even though, like, I guess you could say in this series particularly, there's not really a home ice advantage considering both teams are from Florida. Yeah, it's and, a, it's a bus ride. They don't even fly. It's a bus ride. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, watching watching how the lightning have played, and there is this similar impression of they are their own worst enemy where in the past in the past decade they made it to five conference finals and they are the class of the east or the atlantic east whatever you want to call it uh my my thing is in game two we kind of this is why you add game one and game two where it's like in game two we saw the lightning at full display where Vasilevsky allowed one goal and that was the goal he allowed. And it was like, it was clear that it was like the Panthers are getting that one goal, but like if Vasilevsky's on, you're not scoring on him. And that defense, which is gotten uh, the David Savard trade has basically brought in another great, def- great pairing on the back end. And in this series, we're seeing the Panthers really, 
would a team that was good in the regular season has the depth, but is outmatched because of that, uh, because of the Lightning's ability to not only score on the top line, but uh, but score on the back end as well, uh, and be great defensively on the back end, and then Vasilevsky on top. So I I think I think it's I see Lightning five six, but like it's going to be. I think it's important to watch how they play just to see yeah, how they'll I- play against the Hurricanes. At this point, I don't see much of a chance of Florida winning overall. Mm-hmm. While before, I thought it would be a seven-game series toss-up kind yeah. of thing. Now, I think it's just a matter of do they pull off one in Tampa and then one at home and then lose? Um, it is I think their max ability here is to win like the first game in Tampa and then their game back home and then lose game six. Um but I yeah, I don't see them winning. But honestly, mm-hmm. while they have performed better than I thought, quicker, rather I should say. They like performed rough gelling faster. Yeah. They're not performing better than I thought they would towards the end of this series. I thought this would it be toward the end of the series. My thought, my questions were just how fast could they get to this? And they got to it immediately, which was not my thought process. So my then further on, I still think uh, we'll have to watch Carolina, but I still think Carolina's got the edge over them. Um, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how the matchup because I think both rosters are just like have depth rosters. It's going to be interesting. I mean, one of the questions I guess is goaltending uh, for the Hurricanes because they they have brought in I think a rookie goaltender for the first two games, uh, and it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see. Uh, how they how they match up it does but in these first two games uh with the lightning and the panthers one of the things that i'm thinking is that the the lightning really are their worst enemy in the sense that if they play down to their opponent they'll lose which i think we saw with the blue against the blue jackets a few years ago we saw them they played down to the blue jackets and they lost so so i i would like to point out i personally don't like using that um I would never call a team their own worst enemy, honestly. Even if it's the case, I personally, I, I believe it's too competitive of a sport to discredit because by saying that you're discrediting every other team, and I, I don't think at this point, well, I wouldn't I, say there are any super. I think teams. you. I wouldn't say that. I would say more just like when this team is on, which they are, and when they are, they can't lose. Like nobody can beat them. They're that talented. See, I, I, I don't see that. I I think there's no team that that's the case. I think there never is a team. It's This isn't basketball. No, I know that. <laughs> this, I mean, there this, are, there's two. There it, are teams that have on and off streaks, but I think it's more like, it's more like with the, in the NHL, it's more like you don't have the same roster for every game because injuries happen and players are players can be hurt in a game, uh, can get rattled in a game where they get slowed down. It's more like, to be more accurate, that this team uh, is all healthy now and the te- outmatch any opponent, which See, means that which I, means, I, I think yeah. for them, it's like they might lose a few games, but it's hard to see them losing in a seven-game series. See, I, I don't know. I don't agree because saying st- like that, essentially, first of all, it's a thing a lot of fans do, but I don't think that's why you say it. But, like, it's because – 
it takes away any credit to a team beating them by using that saying they're their own worst enemy, which means whenever they lose, it's their fault, not the opposing team beating them. And I personally don't think that's the case. I think it's competition is way too tight to, to say that that's, that that's a thing. I think it's any given night, they, a team beats them. I don't think that's a, an issue of them being their own worst enemy. I just think it's, I think there are a lot of teams that goes a lot of teams that are also in that same tier category i think is more accurate i think usually the teams that make it to the final four and the teams that make it to the cup have all are all those cases and they all meet each other i think like a good example the other situation i think where the lightning lose i mean you look at how when they played the capitals in that seven game series the capitals are also a very good team and it wasn't like oh the other team blew it it was both teams were very good i think it's similar where you uh where you see it uh where you see it last year I mean, not last year, uh, but like you see it in the final four uh, or in the Eastern Conference final, the Western Conference final, oftentimes where it's like these other good teams that play each other. It's like, okay, yeah, they're also a very good team that is going to win. See, here's my series. thing. Once you get to the playoffs, like if you, you can say that happens when teams end up losing to Buffalo or whatever, and they, they play down to them a little bit. But once you're in the playoffs, I think using that is, is, by and large, it discredits teams and, and it essentially puts the onus all on one team and saying, ah, no, they lost because of them, not a – and I think once you get to the playoffs, you can say they are a better team. Like, I, I believe – but I personally, I'm like, I feel no team is so – no team's good enough to say they only lose because of themselves, which is what their own – they can only lose if they're their own worst enemy feels like. I mean, okay, I, I guess like trying to mean something a little different in that sense. So I I guess let's I guess there's like one series we haven't talked about yet. Is that right? Uh the uh Oilers Jets series. So I believe we talked about it a little bit, but to get into it more a little bit, we just concluded game bit, one, I think. Yeah, so it's game one. There's not a whole lot you can take about this. It was the score looks a lot more lopsided than it the game was. It was yeah. it was a very close game. They got a tip in. Uh the uh Jets got a tip in to break the tie. And I don't remember were one or both of them the other two goals. The next uh, two empty, empty netters. netters. So the next two so it was essentially a two-one game. Uh whenever figuring yeah. out whatever, I disregard the empty net goals. Um, so it was essentially a two, one game and you didn't have McDavid or Drysaddle score. There were, there wasn't a penalty called until the second half of the second period, um, which, which was very, very odd, uh, to me, at least from watching it, um, it was so, very much like just de- defense goaltending. Like it was really odd considering that well, I think this is the game that if you had any bet that you could bet the over on, this was the game that would be the most advisable to do that because it was like, these are two teams led by their offenses. So I, I, I don't agree. I think Winnipeg is not led by their offense. Um, I think they're led by their well-roundedness, but not, um, I, by their I, depth, I, I guess. Yeah, I, I thought this team, I thought this series was going to be a tight series. The way they played in the last two weeks of the season 
really discouraged me about it. Um, Cause even, because once they clinched, they essentially lost nine of 10 or nine of 11 games. Um, yeah. But so that happens sometimes. And oftentimes you see those teams then come into the playoffs, essentially lax and not do well. They were obviously able not to. So ignoring those last 10, 11 games, I believed this would be a very tight series that Edmonton would eventually pull out because mm-hmm. I think they just have too much offensive talent uh, to, to lose this series. And their goaltending is not so severely worse. It is interesting because uh, the, the, the Jets did struggle. And I was trying to think of what particularly led to them losing all these games and looking worse significantly on the offensive end of the ice. And you realize that Nikolai Ehlers, as much as you like to say 21 goals, it's hard to replace. It was a top line scorer who kind of made that whole top line a, a, a tough unit to defend or really was a second line scorer, but like uh, with Kyle Connor, Nikolai Ehlers, uh, Mike, Mark Shifley, Blake Wheeler, it's just the whole unit and losing Ehlers was that piece. that was like, Oh, that's a big blow for them. And I think it's very interesting looking at how they're going to win this series, because I think they can pull the upset if they win these game, if they play great defensively, which is just like, the question is how well can they do that? And you can't sustain that. That's the thing. You can't sustain that, especially against this team. Um, David and dry saddle. I I find it interesting because I, I agree that I I don't think you're going to contain McDavid and dry saddle for seven games, but particularly, I don't think they're going to contain him for what it really comes down to is I don't think they're going to contain him for four. Well, I think one of the questions is is that McDavid and Drysaddle, McDavid particularly, is best in creating on odd man rushes. Creating, he's one of the best speed skaters and the in power the game. play and, and the power play, and they didn't get that. There was very little calling in this. The game. way the Jets neutralized them, which is really odd considering how their defense is more of a bigger defense, but the way they neutralized them and limited them in the neutral zone is something that could if they kept doing that they would they would be able to they would be able to win the series if it was they matched up with them well that way and if Hellebuck is on continues to play well I get the, the overall impression is that they won't be able to sustain that and that's that's pretty accurate yeah. I think and, also, and I don't even necessarily think it's them sustain that I think it's a little bit that I think it's like we've mentioned with two other teams with the Capitals and with I can't remember who you mentioned with it first of that top line is not going to not score. It, it's going to happen. Uh, it's they're inevitable things. And it's inevitable that McDavid and Drysaddle will get some points. Can they be held to fewer? Yes, but I don't ultimately well, they, see they, it they can happening. be limited, I think. Is they the could maybe be limited, but I don't think they can be limited. I still think this is a five, six game series. So, I mean, it, it is interesting because like, you wonder how good the Jets defense is because I think good defenses could take away good offenses. It's kind of like good pitching, good hitting, whatever. It's just like, I I disagree. I think ultimately you have to have a well, a good defense cannot take away a good offense that has some round to it. You, you can momentarily do it. You can do it in a game. You can do it, but across a seven game series, offensive talent eventually because it's it's much harder to consistently play defense than it is offense 
That's that's where I think the breakdown is. You have to be constantly on on defense because one mistake and it's over. Um, while offense, you don't need to be consistently on. You just need to be on at this moment, at that moment to take advantage. And so I think eventually offense prevails usually. You have to have a good defense, but I think ultimately if you don't have the ability on offense. I guess you're bringing up a good point. There's a difference between a good defense and a disciplined defense. I think where there are discipline defense doesn't make a lot of mistakes, but uh, they don't have the talent to necessarily just eliminate star power. Meanwhile, good defense or good defensive players have the ability to limit star powers, especially with the skating ability with their uh, ability to get in front of the net, but they will make some rookie mistakes or not rookie. mistakes. They will make uh, mistakes. That's the thing. Defense will always make a mistake or two. It's undoubted because the pressure is much harder and it's much more, you have to be much more constant on defense. Particularly the the Jets defense. I'm just saying in general defense, I, I, I believe eventually offense outplays um, unless, unless an offense is not good enough to match up. But if you have a very good offense versus a very good defense, eventually that offense will outplay because the constancy that you need out of it versus the non-constancy you need out of offense is, is sways very heavily toward offense. So I guess like, it's it's assumed that may, that the Oilers aren't going to be contained for too long, especially like after this game, which is like too much of a shock that they it uh, that they're not going to be contained. I On the see other, a big game for game two. Uh, I, I mean, mean, I can I, see these six goal games, but it's the question is can they I can they keep continue scoring? I think they could. The question is how well the Jets limit them. On the other side of the ice, though, this is a question I have about picking the Oilers: is their defense is good it's like very good top heavy especially with darnell nurse tyson berry adam larson those three are a real ethan bear's been having a good season also so really like four deep i guess to say the question is is do you trust mike smith is this the year mike smith is proves us all wrong and like lee can lead the oilers because mike smith the guy can you trust him in the series in this series, yes, because I don't think it will weigh, fall on him. Overall, I don't know, but I don't think we should look that far ahead yet, especially in a series like this. Yeah. Um, I think in this series, he'll be adequate enough. Um, going forward, who knows? Um, well, my question is the depth of the Jets. If they can, if the, if the Jets can continue to get shots on that uh, from the, their entire lineup, and that's really where I question, like, if Nico, Nikolai Ehlers is that much of a difference maker, which I think he is, and this is where, that's why I picked the that's why I'll pick the Oilers in this series, because but if the Jets can find depth scoring, also, uh, Mike Smith, Mike Smith's not going to be able to be great for sixty minutes. I don't think. Uh, we'll see. I I have the Oilers in five or six. I I think game two is going to go heavily Oilers. Uh, then you go back to Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe Winnipeg wins one game at home, but that's about it. I I see this very heavily swayed Oilers despite tonight. Well, I I would I would sway more Oilers in seven because this series like it's going to be a tough series for them because. I mean, we not excluding game one. I think it, it's it's easy to forget, uh, like the Jets' defense being better than being better. Like 
like Neil Pionk, Derek Forber, uh, uh, Dylan DeMello, like these guys, like, yeah, it's actually like more talented of a defense. It's just that they've looked like the team as a whole has looked worse in the past, the end of the season. And I guess the question is, can Connor Hellebuck's gonna going to be a tough out, like not, not tough out, you could say, but like a tough goalie to score on. And I think when he's on, which I think he will be for this series, it's going to be tough for the Oilers to, to just pile on goals in, in like consecutive games to, to win the series in five or six. I think it's going to go seven for that, with that in mind, I think. Uh, I think I, to me, the most likely outcome is, is uh, six is, uh, they take Winnipeg takes one at home, um, one more at home. More. That that's what I mean. Takes one more at home, forcing a game six. Uh, I don't I don't see them sweeping Edmonton at home. I, I don't I don't see them. Well, it wouldn't be sweeping, but like if they won game three or four, one of those two, and then they won game six, then it goes to game seven in Edmonton. See, I really don't see that. I think. I think more likely is they lose game one at home. I mean, their game one, game three at home, pick up game four and then lose games five and six is more what I kind of see happening. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So we'll have a lot more next week. Uh, Probably by next Tuesday, we'll have a couple series wrap ups. Um and looking ahead a bit for those series. Uh, but yes. I mean, yeah, it's, it's going to be great to, to follow. It's going to be, and I mean, the next week it's, it's great. It's been, today was five NHL games, even though one was a regular season game. It, it's been a great, it's been just great to follow. It's been, I had like three screens on today at one point. It's, it's going to enjoy hockey and like, for anyone watching, for anyone listening, thank you for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week for some more hockey talk.